Thanks for coming back to Scooby, What's New, Queer, and Delicious. My name is Lou, and I'm so glad you're back with me. Welcome to the final installment of this series explaining my paranormal origins, family history, and insights through tragic, grievous parts of my past. As I write these episodes, I've invested so much emotional storytelling into organizing my words for you. Also, understand that these tellings of events are my own. But today's story is no different in terms of how much emotion is filtered through the tale. To start this episode, I'm going to tell you about Jim, my stepfather. Although there were odds that Jim and I were put up against in the nature of our relationship, I still value his presence in my life. He was a great father to me and my sister, and we miss him dearly. In the first episode, I told you about the time I saw Ricky's ghost in the flashing fireworks above me during a 4th of July party. My mom was shook because she told this tale a handful of times as I grew up. I wouldn't know how serious my seeing spirits would become until after Jim's death in 2014. Even after seeing Jim's spirit, I rarely told anyone that it had happened. For a long time, I didn't think anyone would believe me. Until recently, my seeing Jim's ghost was kind of a secret. Jim died almost 10 years ago now. I actually can't believe that I've outlived the man for the last 10 years. He was my stepdad and entered my life even before Ricky passed. Jim got my mom pregnant and shotgun married her a few months later. She had my sister in October of 1996. I don't think my mom wanted Ricky ripped from my life the next year, but it's not like she could have helped it. She had moved on from him. Jim raised me and my sister, and I like to say that He did so in a way that honored Ricky. So the summer of 2014, I come home from college um, and I go to work for a few weeks at a local summer camp. After working at the camp for a few weeks, I breathed in the opportunity that the 4th of July break would give me away from those wily children I was serving. I leaned over the washing machine to load my dirty camp laundry into it after the long week I'd had and I quietly put my clothes into the washer, tears streaming down my eyes. I mean, the week I had just finished had been hell, and honestly, it was hell the entire time I was working there. I waffled back and forth to myself about quitting the job because I desperately needed the money, but it wasn't worth my my peace. It wasn't worth my peace. So Jim, he comes into the washroom as I'm loading this load of laundry, and I stared pathetically at him as I soaped up the load. He peered into my vulnerable eyes, and I just broke down into my dad's chest. I told him I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep up the necessary emotional labor required for the job ahead of me. Besides the stress of working with kids, I also had some nerve-wracking news to unfold for my parents, that I was a baby gay, and that seemed more pressing than going to camp every day anyways. I couldn't tell him at that moment that I was gay, but it felt very emotional to have that in the background of the situation. And I cried it into his shirt as much as I stood there and cried everything else into his shirt that day. He held me like a good caring father would. He let me have a good weekend, enjoying the fireworks for the 4th, hanging out with my grandparents and my friends from high school, swimming around in the lake and spending time with my family while I had the chance. 
Monday morning rolls around and as I was getting dressed, getting ready to leave for another horrible week, he stopped me. Honey, you don't have to do this, he said to me. People quit jobs all the time, don't really show up for their shifts. You're allowed to do that. You don't have to go. I know, Dad, but I have to give them my two weeks. It's only fair. They're taking care of kids and need time to refill my position if possible. He said it was respectable and he was proud of me for doing it, um, and he let it just be up to me to go. And that was the last thing I'd ever talked to him about, ever heard from him about. Without diving into traumatic details, I was called home from work early because he'd gotten into a motorcycle accident. When I got to Sacred Heart Hospital in downtown Spokane and sat in the private waiting room with my family, a chaplain entered the room shortly after me. He explained that he'd be our family liaison. He'd be our caregiver. I don't think I knew that having that chaplain was a signal for something larger. I didn't know that he would usher our family into death. While my entire family held my sister from falling into a million pieces, the chaplain actually followed my anxious mind and body into the hospital hallway asking if I needed a prayer or a conversation. I told him that God was dead to me. (laughs) He just looked at me blankly. Like it was his first day on the job that he'd ever heard that from practically a teenager and, you know, he was shook by it. I rolled my eyes at him that day and told him that he'd be better off with the others or to just leave. I don't remember seeing him again after that. I only saw my dad twice in the hospital. I saw him once when I was first allowed to go in. Uh, I talked to Jim for a while before getting too freaked out by his accident and just leaving the room. A lot of the time I felt like his presence was very heavy with us. He was overwhelming me in the room, but not only because he was totally maimed by the accident, but because you could kind of see his body reacting to my presence too. Like we sat in the room together and we'd just breathe in and out, you know, filling the room with both of our energies. And it was as if we could speak to one another on a plane where I wasn't able to access the conversation, but I could feel it. I could feel him telling me that I'd have the worst time, that I was too emotionally intelligent not to feel this through every ounce of my existence. Fast forward a few months. We cremated him and had the funeral. My mom was a hairstylist and her clients had given her a pass to the timeshare in Las Vegas that they'd had for us to vacation for a few weeks. Neither me nor my sister was old enough to enjoy Las Vegas at the time, but my mom dragged us there anyway so she could get away. She needed to get away, but I didn't realize that she wasn't engaged with us anymore. She'd forgotten to consider us as she lost her husband of 20-something years. I mean, she literally used an opportunity at Outback Steakhouse in Las Vegas to force me out of the closet to her and my sister saying some of the most homophobic shit I'd ever heard. She robbed me of an experience telling our entire family as if it was more dramatic than Jim leaving us permanently. I couldn't deal with her response, her homophobia, and the death of my father. I never understood why she dragged me through that much hell at that time. I guess you could say that the woman was going through her own transformation. But nonetheless, I shared a room with my mom on that trip. Her encapsulated with her grief, my sister sleeping away from us because she couldn't stand to be around us at the time, 
because of her response to her grief and me just trying to live another fucking day. So while I was sharing the room with her one night, I was drowsy next to her. I think she had already fallen to sleep. And before I could really fall into sleep, my body became ice cold and froze over. I couldn't move my legs anymore. I couldn't move anything. I looked up into the darkness of the room toward the door where on the other side my sister was sleeping in another room. And I was jolted awake by this ice cold feeling. Like I saw Jim's spirit. He was kind of this blue aura in the darkness I mean, it was pitch black in the room, but it was bright blue the way that he had shown himself. And it was almost as if he was forcing his way through the aura to even physically be seen. He wore an immense expression of pain and anger on his face, crying out for me. I didn't hear anything, but it looked like he was screaming. Out of fear, I closed my eyes and tried to kick my mom, but I still couldn't move. So I tried to call out. My voice was nothing but breath. I could only make the quietest of squeals and my mom couldn't really hear me. And then I straight up passed out after that. The next morning, I asked my mom if she'd heard anything in the middle of the night because I had just so happened to remember that this had happened to me. It wasn't even like I woke up and remembered. It was like it took a while throughout the day. So she'd said that, you know, she heard me whimpering, but she thought I was dreaming, so she left me alone. I nodded, disappointed that her motherly instincts were totally out of the window, uh, and I never really told her or my sister about what I'd seen that night in the hotel. In fact, I don't even think I mentioned that story until years later to someone. I've never been the type of person to cast an experience off as if it weren't real. What I saw was real, as I could ever know something to be real. As someone who now investigates the paranormal, I can understand how Jim was able to reach me that night. Even though I may have been nodding off, not really thinking of much, it's possible that my sister or mom were experiencing an amount of grief in their dreams, or were still awake and experiencing it, or all of us as a family collectively grieving brought Jim forward enough to communicate with me specifically. Unfortunately, not all spirit communication is daisies and butterflies. I think this version of a vision of Jim coming through was more of like a longing, like a reluctance by his spirit to stay gone from our reality. He missed us, and it felt like that was a deep expression of loss for himself. Later, during some ghostly conversation with my sister about her dad, um, more recently, this happened, she pointed out that Jim's organs are still alive and well on this planet as far as we know. He wasn't a donor upon death, but my mom was compelled by the hospital to salvage parts of his body for the care of other people, which I think is nice, but still wasn't my dad's wishes. So there is a man who walks around with my dad's eyes and another with my dad's heart, and more parts, maybe. And this could contribute to the fact that he feels strongly tethered to Earth. I mean, taking up paranormal investigation has brought on so many questions. But more importantly, has created a relationship between myself and Jim's spirit. Jim has been able to communicate quite clearly through my spirit box and in shufflemancy sessions. Since finding the mysterious newspaper clipping I mentioned in the last episode... 
I've been trying to communicate with Ricky and Jim as often as I'm able to. It's been almost 10 years after Jim's passing and 27 years since Ricky's passing. Contacting Jim's spirit is marginally easier than reaching Ricky's. At the start of this journey exploring the spirits of my late fathers, I didn't know what I was doing. As I progressed into the world of paranormal investigation, it felt like I had a clearer method to get answers I was seeking. Using a spirit box or practicing the SS method is one way to communicate. I've also been practicing a form of shufflemancy that I'm continuing to develop. I want to find a way to combine some sort of output to the shufflemancy so I can use that in future content so you guys kind of know what I'm talking about. So we go out to Vernon Lake and we use a shufflemancy or we try to use shufflemancy and then we end up using the spirit box in our initial investigation there. And ghost hunting outdoors is it's hard to do because of the conditions you're in. Um, shufflemancy wasn't working just because of that. Um, but I also wasn't allowing myself to be 100% receptive to it. So it's the first time I'm trying to film a paranormal investigation. And I realized that, oh, I needed to change some things. I needed to come back to it. Like I said, I got the word lichen in the end. And if you go to my YouTube, you can watch this video and see what you think. I mean, if you find anything interesting about this video, let me know. This podcast series has explained my humble beginnings and why the paranormal has pulled me in. Grief is a strong emotion, and through my experiences with it, I've grown closer to the spirits of my late fathers. It's been one hell of a personal journey. I never thought I'd be someone so spiritual that I'd make a lasting connection with the spirits who have passed, especially not my own late fathers with all the daddy issues I have. Growing closer to spirits like this can be fulfilling and can be comforting. Some are going to say that because of the deaths of my fathers, they're so close to home. It can skew my viewpoint. But sharing these stories, you know what? It was important for me to show that I can live resiliently through these traumas. But that people can tell their truth through traumas. And just because somebody has had trauma doesn't mean it should be taking more skeptically what they've experienced because of certain circumstances like grief. I've worked very hard to create a relationship with Ricky and Jim's memories and their spirits to come to a place where I can seek their help with further ponderings. Grief was a long part of my journey, but I'm on another part of that path now. I'm grateful for the time I spent with grief because it taught me the nuances of these family stories. I hope that when we as paranormal investigators start exploring more cases with heavily emotional ties, we can come to these cases with emotional nuance and radical empathy. I think it helps the living, like me, come to understandings and lead to healing. Beyond though, the experiences that the living receive as a result of this spirit communication. I wonder how it all works out for the spirit side of things. I've spent so much time memorializing Jim and Ricky. Ricky deserves a level of humanizing that brings him back from this punishable by death lifestyle choices argument and deserves a level of humanizing that grounds him in the nuances that shaped his short life. 
And for Jim, he deserved more than what he got, too. He was a jolly soul with a lot of adventure. I would often engage Jim in conversations about death when he was alive. I'd ask him, how do you want to die? He would never answer me because he, he couldn't get past the morbid curiosity and he would just sigh in disbelief that I'd even asked him. I remember telling him, though, one day that I had imagined him going out doing something he loved. I never really imagined that it would become a deeply deadly scenario, like dying on a motorcycle. Um, but dying on a motorcycle is statistically common if you ride one. So, nonetheless, the tragedy is still heartfelt. When I engage with my late father's spirits, I wonder more and more about the state of our spiritual connection. I can speculate that the grief I've encountered as a result of these experiences may have brought on this connection, but when I foster and maintain that relationship between my own life and the life after my own reality, what happens? For example, a lot of people might guess that these spirits of Ricky and Jim are spirit guides or ancestral spirits meant to guide me. I would guess similarly, but I still wonder to what end. All things considered, the investigator and the researcher in me has more interest in developing a method for which I can communicate and glean more information about the people involved in my story. I love my dads, but there is something that feels bizarre about their connection and their communication. Remember the six other deaths that occurred in northern Idaho waters in 1997? This is still a point of curiosity for me and why I wonder more about the state of spiritual connections. So I want to go back to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho and contact specifically nature spirits, the lake spirits, spirits around the lake, to see if we can get clearer answers about why the water claimed so many lives that year. I hope that the water will tell us something. Now, water is cleansing. It's also known to be a conductor of spiritual activity. Water is sacred and an important balance in our system of elements and our own bodies. When we revisit East Fernand Lake Road and engage with the nature spirits in the area, I hope to build a relationship with the area that sort of fosters a mutual respect and curious communication. I hope that the spirits of Jim and Ricky will assist this communication so that we can come to a deeper understanding about anything that relates to this case. Lately, I've been hearing more and more cases of folks who are experiencing spiritual awakenings, paranormal occurrences, and all of it feels life-changing. There's not much I can say about others' experiences, but as far as my own journey, it's been paved way differently than I'd imagined it had, would have been. I have Ricky and Jim to thank for that. As I come to the end with the origins of my paranormal experiences, I want to thank you for being open to listening to my experiences. Thank you for joining me on Scooby What's New Queer and Delicious. When I come back to the podcast, I really hope to have more discussion about my findings, feature more voices from the spooky community, stay tuned on the feed, and visit my YouTube for more investigations and anything else that might come up for us paranormally along the way. You can also follow me on Instagram at liminallyperiodlu, where I would love to hear from you while we wait for the next episode. So thanks again for listening and ta-ta for now.